Ed Friedman joining me now from Denver uh, from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Hello, Fridge. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Merrick? Uh, I'm good, man. You know, I've, I've had a couple of hours, you know, after the, the game last night, we did our podcast and went to bed and thought about the game more and woke up this morning and went for a run and thought about the game a little bit more. And this is yeah. a great performance by Colorado. They put on a, a clinic of speed and skill and just how talented they are. They had Tampa hemmed in. And I thought to myself, you know, Victor Hedman didn't have a great game. You know, Andre Vasilevsky didn't have a great game. That Sorelli line really struggled against yep. Nathan McKinnon's line. I'd have to think that there will be some course correction, and they're only one shot away from winning game one without Hedman having a good game and without Vasilevsky having a good game. Colorado deserved to win that game. John Cooper said that after. The, 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 the right team won. Um, but they're one shot away from winning it. And we always talk about, you know, this Tampa Bay Lightning team that is Monty Python's night. Doesn't matter what you do to it, it's still going to keep fighting. It'll still keep coming back. What I'm saying is, Elliot, this is really good for the series because Tampa was average by their standards last night, and they were still right there with Colorado, who, again, I don't want to disqualify them. They deserved to win, and they were awesome, but Tampa was right there the whole way. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I thought it was... It was fine. Ron and I were talking after after we taped the podcast last night, and we were we were just talking from a hockey, from a, a best for hockey standpoint, and what was best for viewership. We were kind of talking about if Tampa had won the game, would it have been bad for viewership because people would have been like, "Oh, I've uh, they're going to win again." I've seen this movie. And I've seen this movie. Yes, and it's not and. It, Maybe people don't think, Jeff, it's a roadhouse where you can watch it over and over and over again. <laughs> uh, so, I, like, so we didn't think that the outcome was actually best for viewership of the series. Look, what do we know about Tampa? The, the, the longer a series goes on, the stronger they get. I think we all know that about them now. And even though Tampa, I agree, was outplayed last night, there were a lot of things that they did that, you know, you know, Vasilevsky got better as the game went on. And the, the stuff that Kevin showed with uh, the Lightning making it very difficult for McCarr to get a shot through, it's yeah. just a reminder of how high IQ their team is, and it's why one of the biggest reasons they are where they are. And plus, you know, they were only in – they had one practice in, in Denver at altitude before the game. They're going to be here for two more days. Now, nobody's practicing today. Uh, Bednar's at the podium now, and Cooper's doing the Zoom in about 10 minutes. So they'll, they'll practice again tomorrow. But I just think having two days off and spending a couple more days in Denver, I think they're going to be a lot better. I, I, there's two things I wanted to add. Number one, Jeff, and this is right up your alley, you know, we don't get a chance. We haven't had a chance in the last couple of years to go to as many games. Watching no. McKinnon live is, is really something. To see how that engine starts going, to see what it's like when he picks up speed. Um, you know, Makar is also a real treat to watch, but there's something about that that horse that McKinnon is and watching it rev up that is yeah. really electrifying. And secondly, everybody has to tweet happy birthday to Kevin Bieksa today. Oh, is it Juice's birthday? Yes, yes. All right, everybody, think- off to Twitter, start happy birthdaying Kevin Bieksa. You yeah, know, I think the, he's 42. Um, I think he's 42 or 41, something like 
Uh, he's still a in baby. like whippy. He's still a, in whippy blue shape too. I know. Like holy smokes, he's barely old enough to whiz straight. Here we go. Um, okay, so a thing, a thing on Nathan McKinnon because I'm fascinated with watching him play too. And you know, I've you've heard me compare him to a rhinoceros on skates. Like, yeah, that's a better one than a horse. I like that. He, he's 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 a rhinoceros, but as as someone told, uh, someone said to me a while ago, and I can't remember who it was, and it's a great way to frame it. He skates like he's mad at the ice. Like the way that he pounds the ice and digs in, like every stride, it's like he's trying to stomp on the ice. I don't know that we've seen a player skate like that and have more power and acceleration while he seems very angry. At like I don't know what the ice did to him when he was a kid, but he seems very upset at the ice, Elliot, and he's taking it out on the ice every stride that he takes. What do you think of that? Well, I would say this. It doesn't look like it takes Nathan McKinnon a lot to get mad at something. I, I like the <laughs> I, 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 I like the idea of what you're saying. I do. Um, uh, I, I think it, it makes it, it sounds great. It makes a lot of sense. Um, just watching it in person, yeah. it's really something to watch that body rev up. Yeah, I remember asking Paul Maurice once, you know, what was your welcome to the NHL moment? Like, what was your the, the moment where you said, like, holy geez, like a player does something and it's sudden. And he said he was uh, he was coaching, I think it would have been, was it Hartford or Carolina? And uh, called all the players to center ice, first gate. And he, call, he called for a couple laps around. He said, Sammy Kapanen took off faster than I've ever seen anyone take off before. And it was my, whoa, holy smokes, like, it's possible for people to skate that way. And I remember watching, it's interesting, too, I remember watching at the, uh, at the World Cup, Team North America, and feeling the same way that you're describing Nathan McKinnon as well. I could not take my eyes off McKinnon in warm-up and couldn't take my eyes off McKinnon during the game. He's big, he's strong, he's thick, um, he looks and plays like he's always angry and always anxious. He's highly skilled. A lot of the plays, too, that he makes are really subtle skill plays, but it's overwhelmed with this sense of power. Like, I, I don't know what you do. Like, when he's when he's on his game, nobody touches him. Nobody nobody touches nobody touches McKinnon. So I, I share that same marvel, I guess, that you have when you look at Nathan McKinnon. I, I, I feel the same way. The thing that I wonder about coming out of last night's game was I keep going back and forth here. I'm curious where you land on this one. Um, you there? I'm listening, yep. Okay, so I I think the two best players on the ice last night were Gabriel Landeskog and Valery Nachushkin. Yeah. Would you, A, agree with that, and B, who do you think had the better game, Landeskog or Nachushkin, if you believe those were the two best players on the ice? Well, I'll take Nachushkin because he figured on the winning goal. You know, Kelly talked a lot about him through the game, in post-game, brought up that he had 11 shot attempts, six shots, had that great yep. pass to Burakovsky, uh, scored a uh, goal himself. Uh, great two-way player defensively. We all know how good, you know, uh, Valeri Nachushkin is. And he's going to go down as, you know, one of the great plays by Joe Sackick. Like, there's always those... Too. Like, I'll, Jeff, I'll tell you something, too. There, there, is, there is belief that Colorado is going to find a way to keep him. I always say... Someone said let... that to me this morning. 
Yeah. Don't assume that guy is leaving. You see, whenever I look at players that are, are, are poised to poised to leave teams or it's a dispute between, okay, we have to let this guy go or that guy go, one of yep. my first defaults is who's closer to the Selkie trophy? Who's closer to being the most complete player? Like one person can be dynamic offensively, um, and that's great, and points are very important, specifically goals. But I I always, and maybe it's just I don't know, that the, the bias towards players like this, I always think you get in trouble when you let players like Valeri Nachushkin go or Ryan O'Reilly go or or these types of guys. I think you do whatever it takes to keep those types of players on your team. And Valeri Nachushkin is not going to win the Selkie Trophy, obviously. He'll have plenty of votes. He was in my top five. He was, you know, he'll probably oh, for the next few years. This humble brag. This is like, this is, Hold on. This is, this is like Kelly last night saying, Kelly was humble bragging all over the broadcast. Like, what did you guys go to school <laughs> together for this or something like that? Yeah, did you have oh, Nachushkin? Yeah. Hang on, I hang on. Nachushkin. I had You'll see my top five on my selfie. You'll see Whoa. they'll they'll all get they'll all get revealed. Uh, they already were. They already were. Then, People have seen and- it. So you'll you'll see like where where I've got Valerian Nichushkin, but I I always say to myself like whatever it takes. I know there'll be some difficult decisions here for the Colorado Avalanche, and a lot of them are going to revolve around players like Nazem Kadri and, and Josh Manson, etc. But I'm with you like you do whatever you can to keep this guy. He is just too good on this team and too versatile on this team. He'll play anywhere, and as we as we've seen, he can also play top line with Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog. Yeah, like like I said, I the, I got a call this morning from someone who said to me, you know, you're going to be all over the series for uh, six or seven, five or six more games, and you know they they said they said to me, uh, your guys are going to be all drooling over Nachushkin and UFA, and he said, <laughs> don't automatically assume this guy is gone. Like there there's some belief out there that Colorado is going to do what it can to keep him. So you know we'll see where it goes, but. You know, the amazing thing about him, Jeff, is, you know, you talk about O'Reilly and yep. you talk about Nachushkin. And it's it, it's a league where it's like everything in life. Fit is so important. Are, are you in a place where you believe they maximize the best for you and they understand you? I mean, the, the wildest thing about Nachushkin is this whole season in Dallas where he had no goals and no penalty minutes. I mean, yep. watching him last night, it is unbelievable to think that this guy had a season like that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works for people, and other times it doesn't work for people. Look at O'Reilly. He went from uh, he, he went from being miserable in Buffalo to leading St. Louis to the Stanley Cup championship. It, it's, it's always a reminder. Uh, you know, are you in a place where you're happy and they feel that they're, maximize, that they're maximizing the best out of you? And yeah. you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's your fault, and sometimes it's the organization's fault. But clearly, in both of those two guys you mentioned, they went from situations that weren't working to situations yeah. where they the, figured out how to make it work. The the interesting thing with O'Reilly too is, you know, by the end by the end with Colorado, it really wasn't a great situation for O'Reilly. Um, yeah. And I I I'm of the belief that a lot of that was how he was treated by certain teammates after signing the offer sheet with the Calgary Flames. You know, normally teams would be like, okay, we understand that it's just a business. Um, from what I'm told, there were some players that were very much of the tried to leave. 
yeah, you, yeah. you tried to leave us, you tried to split, why should we welcome you back? And it sort of poisoned that team and Ryan O'Reilly's relationship with it. Um, yep, and you're I right, agree. like he, he, he finds a, a great home with the St. Louis Blues. And listen, when it came time to do the autopsy on the Blues season, one of the things that you talked about was, you know, one year out and getting this guy done and having him retire as a St. Louis Blues specifically. But it's not as if Nachushkin was, is, you know, the only UFA that factored in uh, on offense last night. Like Andre Burakovsky scores the game winner. He's a UFA. Palat, um, Arturi Lekkonen, Nick Paul. Nick Paul. Like la- last night was the night of uh, the night of UFAs showing, like, hey, this is well, why Lekkonen's, we should get Lekkonen's paid. Lekkonen's an RFA, right? Lekkonen's an RFA. Sorry, he's an RFA. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no worries. It's okay. Like we, you know, like they're they're so hard to they're so hard to keep track of that uh, you know sometimes you forget who's who, right? So um, Lekkonen's an RFA, but. You know, like I'm, I, you're right. You're looking at this right now, and how many players uh, do you think are going to cash in big after this season? There's a few of them. There's there's a few of them. Yeah. The playoffs always do it. Uh, the playoffs always do it. Do you have a a, a closing thought on uh, on Andre Vasilevsky, and then we'll, we'll move on to some news? Look, he started out slow. He looked a bit tired, and he was fine by the end of the game. He's going to be. Look, he's going to be a big factor in this series, and everyone knows it. By the way, I wanted to say, Jeff, I should have mentioned on the podcast last night, I didn't, but there are lots of Ranger fans in my DMs this week not happy with my Shesterkin Vasilevsky take. And I am sorry, Ranger fans. <laughs> Vasilevsky's in a class by himself. You have some of the greats saying that as well. You have, you know, Martin Brodeur saying he's overtaken Carey Price as the best goaltender of this generation. That uh, is high praise. That's big praise, uh, yeah. That is large praise. Okay, uh, to some news. And today, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, there is a meeting between the Philadelphia Flyers and John Tortorella. It sounds like this thing is close to getting done if they can find the right decimal point, true or false. I think it's going to get done. I understood that Tortorella was on his way to Philadelphia today. I think that, look, I think a lot of the heavy lifting has been done. Um, they, I think there was a lot of negotiation yesterday. I've had people tell me they got most of the legwork done last night, that I don't think there's a big problem here, and it's just a matter of when they make it official today. Uh, but I think it is going to be announced today. It doesn't sound like there's like, – like, Initially, the way it was phrased, they were going to negotiate today and see if there was a problem. Well, I think they were negotiating yesterday. I think they got most of it done. And uh, I don't know if I want to use the word, the term formality, but it really mm-hmm. seemed like it would be a major, a, a major, major thing if it fell apart now. You know, you brought up something interesting on the podcast that just came out, and that is it's crucial for the Philadelphia Flyers to have a good start next season. Yeah. Because if, if if they don't, it's going to be torches at the Castle Gate from this yes. fan base. And the one thing we've seen out of John Tortorella, right away he gets results. Now, long-term is another thing, but right away he gets results. And you know what? A lot of the, you know, as, as much as you might look at, at John Tortorella and say like, okay, old school guy, old school thinker. If you look at some of the ways that he's coached, whether it was, you know, the Columbus Blue Jackets, for example, like he's he's not like he's not from the dinosaur set at all. Sure, he's an old school guy. Like there's a lot of yes. things that are very old school about John Tortorella, but there's still a really progressive thinker there. Like I've talked to people that that covered him in in Columbus, and they all sing from the same hymn book. Don't judge this guy 
by you know what 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 uh, what public wisdom has to say about it. He's actually quite a, a progressive thinker when it comes to looking at the game, uh, how you play the game, deployment, etc. It's not as if this guy's okay. We're bringing in the next Fred Shiro, who actually was a pretty progressive guy in his time. But I think you know what I'm what I'm getting at. He's not like he yeah. looks and sounds like an old school guy, but he's not an old school guy. Is what I'm getting at. Well, I, I, the way I've come to understand Tortorella is this: he's willing to listen to a lot of things. Um, he's open-minded. He's, as you said, he's prepared. Like you know, he'll say, "Prove it to me." He'll say, yeah. "Show me why I should believe this." But there's nothing wrong with that. You should be skeptical sometimes. So if someone says to you, uh, "I think this is the way we should do it," he'll say why. I, and I think you know, I think he players who played for him tell me he legitimately cares about them and he wants them to do well as people. I think what it is with Tortorella is that once you put on that uniform. And once you step on the ice, uh, whether it's practice or a game, he is unceasing in how much he believes in you do what you're supposed to do and you give me your full effort. And, you know, sometimes if he doesn't think you're giving it to him, he's going to, uh, you know, he's going he's gonna to let you know. And, you know, I think he's very, very demanding. And, you know, I think that, as someone explained to me once, there's some coaches who coach every game like it's a game seven. And he's one, and Daryl Sutter's another one. And I think even though they coach every game like it's a game seven, not every game is a game seven. And I mm-hmm. think there are times, if there's a criticism that they would say is, nobody has it for 82 games. Nobody. And so they think sometimes I wish John would dial it back down tonight, or maybe I don't have it if I give him a, a lot, my greatest effort almost all the time. And I think, but I think you're right. Like he's willing to listen. He's open-minded. He cares about his players, his people. It's just that, you know, that when you step on that ice, you better, you better be going because he doesn't have he doesn't have a lot of time for people who aren't mentally prepared to play or practice. And he also mm-hmm. has no time for people who are out of shape. And that's one thing. That's why they generally start well, Jeff, because mm-hmm. he puts them through a punishing physical test the first day. And he yeah. wants to know who's ready and who isn't. You know, I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about this last night because we talked about Philadelphia and John Tortorella and I was reminded, um, the, of, a, of, a, of a story that Brad May told me when he was with the Buffalo Sabres. We were talking about Torts, and Torts would have been an assistant coach in Buffalo uh, at that point. And it was a game in Philadelphia, and we all know Philadelphia Flyers fans. They are passionate. That is yep. a very passionate, and they are, they're a, they're aggressive. They are aggressively passionate. And May yep. told me the story. They were playing in Philadelphia one night, and you remember the old uh, Buffalo Sabres trainer, Jim Pizzatelli? He's the old yes. Vietnam war vet who saved Clint Malarchuk's life uh, on, mm-hmm. on, on the ice. Um, Mayday said, well, he also saved John Tortorella's life. And I said, I don't know this story. What's his story? And he said, we were playing at the, it would have been the Spectrum, I guess. And some fans were giving it to Torts on the Buffalo bench. And Tortorella turned around to give it to the to the give it to the Philadelphia Flyers fans, I like give it right back to them. And when he when he turned around, his tie went over the glass, 
and a fan grabbed his tie, put his feet up against the glass, and started pulling. As you saw, like the the life being sucked out of John Tortorella, and Jim Pizzatelli recognized that right away and came over with a pair of scissors, like sprinted to Torts, who I don't know, I think Mayday said he was like going limp or something, and cut the tie, and essentially saved his life against Philadelphia Flyers fans. Essentially, he, hockey's a weird place. Life is strange. Life is interesting. Here we are, however many years later. And now John Tortorella is coaching, or poised to coach, the Philadelphia Flyers. Just a story that I wanted to get out there. I just remember that last wow. night that Brad May told me that story of how Jim Pizzatelli uh, saved <laughs> saved John Tortorella's life in a game uh, in Philadelphia, Sabres versus the Flyers. Apropos, really of nothing, but I want to. I want to. Um, I want to end. I think they should. Re- I think they should reenact that scene in game one. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe it'll come up at his, at his introductory press conference. Someone will ask him about how he feels about Flyers fans grabbing his tie. Now, by the way, the other thing I'm hearing about Philly is watch them try to clear some cap room. Right. I don't think that would surprise anybody. I think a lot of us. Yeah. It's funny because I got a couple of texts about, uh, about Ivan Provorov yesterday. Um, like, what are they doing with Provorov? Do you think they really move him? And... I said, look, I think that Philadelphia is considering a lot of moves right now. And I yeah. think to your point, what they what they need to do is they need to create some flexibility and they need to create some flexibility quickly here. Uh, before I let you before I let you go, because uh, we've seen a couple of tweets about it already. Uh, were you walking past a bongo drummer like two minutes ago? Yes, yes. I'm I'm uh, I'm on the streets of uh, Colorado, not far from the hotel. And nice. uh, there was a bongo drummer on the street. Yes, he was. He was out there. Um, that wasn't me playing them. That was me walking past them. And I would like to thank one of my frequent DMers. His name is Ali. He pointed yeah. out that uh, Kessler, uh, Kessler uh, he's going to be so mad if he hears I said that. VX is 41 today. Oh, 41, not 42. Not 42, it's 41. Okay, I thought he was old there for a second. Okay, very well. Uh, excellent. Back to your uh, your street performance. It sounds like a lively time in Denver. It was a lively crowd. So, yeah, by the way, before you wrap up, how about that crowd last night, Freeze? That was a great crowd. That was an awesome it was crowd. An, it was an awesome crowd. And I've got Oilers fans fighting with Adams fans in my mentions over who's the better crowd. You know, unfortunately, I, I didn't make it out to Edmonton, although obviously I heard it was great. Um, but that crowd last night was fantastic, and uh, the all the small things which I was singing along to, uh, yes. that, that was a great scene. You know, every every fan base should have something unique and special to them, and that was certainly it in, in Denver last night. Great crowd, uh, great great game, and I'm I'm expecting it, it's something about six o'clock starts too. Like you always wonder, um, yep. you know, people have had two hours less to really get ready for it, but they were riled up last night. Is that is that Carney for uh, less time to drink before the game? Yes, yes. You know, <laughs> sometimes we like to go to the edge without falling over, Jeff. But thanks for pushing me. Uh, very well. Okay. Um, enjoy your your saunter down the streets of Denver with uh, with street performers and bongo drums, my friend. Up to the uh, to the Wild West show, the Elephants, Lions, and Kangaroos. Thanks so much as always for each. All right, buddy. Have a great day, Mayor. From Thirty Two Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada, Elliot Friedman, who stops by the program to kick it off each and every day.